electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, could deficits finally matter? They may, and they could end up costing you. The UAW set for a major strike update to members, and now Sean Fain taunting the big three on Twitter. Reviving FTX? A group of Sam Bankman Freed's alleged victims want to bring them back to crypto exchange. One of them is here. That next glass of orange juice is going to cost you why OJ prices are suddenly smashing records. AMC entering its Taylor era. The pre-sale figures for Taylor Swift's upcoming concert movie are revealed, and they will blow your mind. Plus, the sweet sign of a mall's financial health. And no, it is not the Apple Store. You won't believe what it is, but we'll tell you all that and much more. So belly up or buckle up, because last call is up right now. Well, good evening here. Good afternoon at West. I am Brian Sullivan. All of that ahead. But first, the war on obesity hitting some big name stocks. And a simple question is the Mount Jaro and Ozempic craze disrupting a classic defensive trade on Wall Street? Usually when the economic landscape looks uncertain, investors will often flock to the safety of, you know, staple food brands. Hence the old adage, buy soup and cereal. But things may be changing. Shares of Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Mondelez, you may know them as soda, also Oreos, Chips Ahoy. They all got slammed today. Coke, in fact, now at a nearly two-year low. And they all fell on seemingly no news except this. A new Wall Street Journal piece detailing how weight loss drugs are beginning to eat into junk food sales. Yesterday, Walmart telling Bloomberg that the company has noticed a change. Customers on Ozempic, I don't know how they know that, are buying less food. Wow. Investors have also noticed Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly, which make those drugs, they've got a combined market cap of $668 billion. And that, my friends, is more than the combined market cap of Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Mondelez, Hershey and General Mills. And if you think that we are maybe making too much of this, you know, launching the show with it, check this out. Morgan Stanley is projecting that 24 million Americans or roughly 7 percent of the population will be on some kind of anti-obesity drug within just 12 years. But is the market doing what it almost always does, overreacting to some hot new trend that could end up being a fad? With us tonight is Wedbush Security Senior VP Gerald Pascarelli. He covers some of the drink stocks as well as Empire Research Senior Editor and CNBC contributor Herb Greenberg, who just, by the way, wrote an excellent piece on his Substack newsletter about this very topic called The Exaggerated, question mark, far-reaching effect of miracle weight loss drugs. Guys, welcome. Gerald, first to you. Okay, you cover these stocks for Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, et cetera. Are they going to lose sales and lose earnings because of Ozempic? I, I think it's still too early to tell here. I think that if there's, there's one thing that we know, it's that there's um, 
a lot of unknowns with this with this new dynamic. Unknowns and uncertainty create fear, and then fear creates ultimately what you saw in the market today. Well, um, so, well, it's not just today, though, Gerald. Right? We just said Coca Cola is at a two-year low. I mean, you know, this is Coca Cola. They're not they're not AI. They're not some fast growth company. We get it, but they're also kind of a staple. So if it's not Ozempic and Manjaro. What is it? Yeah, there's been more of a risk on dynamic, I think, than than we were anticipating, um, certainly at the start of this year. Staples have not been great. Um, high yields do not help staples. And so there's there's other things at play. And also, when you look at the industry dynamics here, they had a very strong start to the year where their revenue growth is outpacing their full year guidance. It's broadly expected that trends are going to start to slow. So I think that as people start to, and investors start to do their homework on upcoming earnings, um, they're trying to realize uh, the magnitude of um, the impact that they're gonna have from slowdown. You know, Herb, I don't know much, but I do know this. Whenever I see the two words miracle and drug in the same sentence, color me just a little bit skeptical. And I know you're smart enough to, to be the same and probably put that in your headline, I'm guessing, I don't want to speak for you, as kind of a little bit of a wink and a nudge. Well, look, here's, here's the deal. I recommended Nova Nordisk in my, one of my newsletters back in September. Stock's up 80%. So I obviously think these drugs have really great potential because that was one of the reasons for the recommendation. But that said, when you start looking at the impact beyond the food industry, in fact, what really got me looking at this was the impact on the med tech industry, you know, the medical devices, healthcare, pharma, because people are starting to extrapolate out. I don't even know how many years that there's going to be an impact on, you know, obviously there'll be an impact on some of the diabetes companies and yeah. the diabetes related companies. But when you start going all the way down the road, including, say, in Edwards Life Sciences, which makes the very valve that is in my chest right now beating away, you have to ask the question, you know, there's not even a conclusive study. I've done the research. There is no conclusive study that obesity definitely affects heart valves. Now, there, are, there is impact. But my point on all of this is, let's just yeah. say it does. Let's say there's well, no on, problem with any of these drugs. Hold on. I'm, a little, I'm trying to connect the knee bone to the thigh bone here. I, if I'm following Greenberg logic, you're suggesting there could be a longer term. Stryker makes things like knees and hips, okay? And if you are obese or overweight or whatever, it can have a lot. Your body is not meant to absorb that kind of weight, so you get maybe a little more. You're saying if Ozempic and Manjaro take off, that the strikers of the world could be hurt because people aren't going to need the knees because they're going to weigh less? I'm saying that you don't know how long that will possibly be. Is it another generation and so investors doing what investors typically do, they're selling first and asking questions later because of groupthink on Wall Street. And I am saying many of these med tech stocks are probably great buys right here because Wall Street mm. has overreacted at this stage. It's like the food companies. You're projecting out the unknowable. There's, is there going to be impact? And by the way, we're assuming, we're assuming that some medical journal at some point, at some time, in the future, because this is also new, doesn't come out with one of those stories or studies that yeah. suddenly makes us all wake up and go, oh, oh, my, oh, my. Uh, yeah. So, Gerald, yeah, help, help us out here, because, I mean, listen, it, it's hard to say because you're dealing with people's health. But the reality is Americans love to eat. And I could maybe make the argument that if everybody's on Ozempic, maybe they buy more Coca-Cola because they feel like they can because they're on some anti-obesity drug. That could be the case as long as it doesn't suppress the appetite, which it, I'm not 100 percent sure on the the, the act. Have you looked as, a, as an analyst who covers 
drinks mostly, but also food through Pepsi, Frito-Lay. Sure. Have you guys started to factor this into some of your analysis? Not, I don't think anyone has really tried to handicap the impact that this could have on the industry. I mean, if you look back to the second quarter earnings call for Coke, for Pepsi, for Dr. Pepper, this, this, was, this never came up. Not and once. Not once. And so, you know, if, if this is a thing where per capita consumption is going to decrease um, these companies still have multiple levers at their disposal to use, really in the in the form of pricing. Such as? Uh, what we've learned over the last 18 months, these companies can take pricing and take outsized pricing with minimal impacts to their volume elasticities. And so their ability to take rate and then also their ability to drive positive mix shift through price pack architecture, putting less chips in a, in a mm. bag. Is that a thing? Smaller. Is that a thing? For sure. So you, th- you, think, you, you think there were fewer chips in the bag, but you're saying they're actually, oh, this is confirmed now. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's confirmed, but there are smaller pack sizes and, and, and the bags certainly seem to get um, a little less full on the top when you look at them. So shrinkflation is a thing. Price pack architecture yeah. is a thing. And if it comes down to offering smaller soda cans or smaller salty snack packages, um, it's going to benefit these companies. By the way, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that will decrease our reliance on Ozempic if we have smaller eight-ounce drinks, not 12. What's your Quickly, we'll go back to Herb in a second. What's your best single stock bet right now? Yeah, so we're recommending um, Celsius Holdings as outperforming. Oh, our, everyone's our drinking that. Everybody drinks it. It's, 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 it's been a great stock. Um, you know, hasn't been uh, immune to the to the market pressure that mm-hmm. we've seen since uh, since Labor Day. But their growing trends great. Uh, scanner reads look great. And uh, we think they're going to have a really good third quarter. Herb, I don't know what it's like in San Diego. You guys are all drinking like matcha tea and doing yoga. But I mean, Celsius is just red hot. Uh, that said, where do you see this going? This, this feels like it's one of these things we've covered over our careers where it's like the hot new thing. And you never know in two months, you could have a medical study to your point that says, these drugs are really bad for you. We don't know. We're, look, where I see it going is for all of these companies and all of these industries that have been hit, I believe for many of them, there will be a normalizing. We'll be going back to the norm. There'll be a bounce back just because, because I think people will wake up. Yeah. They will typically cycle through. We'll see the impact is unknown, and then we'll get on with it. Did you, the way by, they the way, do, by the way, by the way, we got to go, but did you hear our shout out to you yesterday? No, I did not. Well, first, why are you not watching the show? Okay, you're part of the show. It's ridiculous. Every day, at least recorded or something. We gave you a shout out on VinFast because you and I did a segment on the Vietnamese EV maker when the stock was at like $91. VinFast is what today? $8.40. And you said, be careful and a shout out to you. And by the way, that was two or three days before the market peaked. FYI. Well, you don't need to brag. I was giving you the promotion. Herb Greenberg, thank you very much. Gerald Pascarelli, thanks for coming in. Thanks welcome to the much. welcome to the Terror Dome here. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks All right, meantime, much. your money overall did not move that much today. Stocks tumbled as investors investors they didn't tumble. Stocks barely moved. Got the jobs report tomorrow. The Dow and the S and P though are on pace to end the week in the red. Here's your stud and dud of the day. And guess what? We just talked about food. The best stock in the S and P 500 is Lamb Weston. Lamb Weston supplies the French fries to McDonald's, and they just raised forecasts. So we literally just blew out the entire segment we just did, blew it out of the water. The biggest loser, beer company Molson Coors. Okay, maybe we didn't. Down 6% today. All right, one block down, and here's what's on tap. 
A big update coming for striking UAW members. We'll get the inside scoop on what could be next. Plus, a fever dream high for AMC, courtesy of one Ms. Taylor Swift. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines we're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CNBC style. First up, it will not be a cruel October for Taylor Swift or AMC. The movie theater chain says advanced ticket sales for Swift's Eras Tour concert movie have gone above $100 million a week before the movie's even out. Eras movie premieres next Friday. That's the 13th. But that's probably not an accident because 13 is actually Taylor Swift's lucky number. All right, up next, a major meeting in the works. President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping planning on a face-to-face meeting in November. The Washington Post reporting that the summit will take place in San Francisco and says planning is already underway. This would be the first face-to-face meeting between President Biden and President Xi since the G20 summit last year. And finally, some potential signs of progress in the UAW strike. UAW President Sean Fain expected to give an update tomorrow on negotiations. This coming as recent talks with Ford have reportedly led to some progress between the two sides. And Fain is giving an apparent preview of his announcement tomorrow, posting on X, formerly known as Twitter, a picture of three contestants from the show The Bachelor, but with GM, Ford, and Stellantis logos over their faces and saying... Which one gets the rose? Tune in tomorrow to his Facebook Live. CNBC auto reporter Mike Whalen joining us now at the latest. Okay, Mike, uh, I don't think that I don't think Fain was trying to be funny. I think that was that was kind of a that was definitely a dig. Knowing him, my guess is he's not particularly just like messing around. And also, what can we expect to hear tomorrow from Sean Fain? Brian, I am so happy you guys put up that graphic because I was going to say what we can expect is a bachelorette or bachelor at this point. Um, The union has about 25,000 more people on strike right now. It's only about 17% of the people under the contract. They've got the 2 p.m. meeting. And what we're expecting is an update on all of the contracts. Having said that, the union's been a little bit more cordial this week in negotiations and also talking with uh, different people like me and myself. So we could see a more kinder, gentler thing coming out tomorrow. 
but it's really going to depend on how the deals are set up and just what is in them. We have seen movement this week, and each of the automakers have their deals to the UAW, and that's the most important thing. The ball is now in their court, and it's arguably going to be up to their decision what they want to do. There's two kind of thoughts in this. The first is if they just skip striking, they're going to try to drag this out for a lot longer. If they choose certain automakers, they're going to keep going. But if they go for the jugular and the pickup truck plants, I think that's when we'll start seeing things get really serious. Well, they're pretty serious right now. Uh, also, speaking of serious, Mike, I want to talk about GM that has nothing to do with the strike. The Wall Street Journal today reporting that 20 million GM vehicles may contain airbag parts that the government says should be recalled over potential explosion risks. Unclear which GM vehicles are impacted when, if any, a recall could be announced. GM has previously recalled about a million of its Chevy and Buick SUVs for an airbag issue back in March. That news hitting GM stock. It fell below 30 bucks a share for the first time in three years today. Bounced back toward the end of the day. 20 million vehicles, Mike. This seems like a really big deal if it's accurate. That is accurate, and that's how many vehicles they're currently looking at. But it's not guaranteed that those vehicles will get recalled. The automakers have a couple of months to respond to NIFS on this. And as you mentioned, everything can go back to the strike. With the strike and this most recent news, they went to a three-year low under $30 a share, which was honestly quite surprising for the automaker. Wall Street has said that the strike has been kind of priced into all this, but obviously it hasn't been too much. And then this news kind of just knocked the strike down a little bit harder. A source months ago told me that if this recall happens, it's almost a Takata airbag 2.0, and that is not something any automaker wants to see on their books. Wow. Mike Whalen, uh, tomorrow we're going to wait for that Facebook Live from Sean Fain. Hopefully they are inching closer. Seems like they are. We'll see. Mike, appreciate it. Be well. And roses. And roses. There we go. All right. Still ahead. Are America's debt and deficits beginning to spiral a bit out of control? The big numbers you have to hear and why they finally may start to matter to you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, time now for your daily heaping helping of random but interesting. And tonight, we're going to stay on the food theme because we have to talk about the Cheesecake Factory. No, not their wide and delicious menu. It's because Cheesecake Factory may be the secret sauce in knowing how well a shopping mall is doing. Moody's Analytics found that if a mall has a Cheesecake Factory in it, it is probably doing better than one without. Moody's found that about 93% of loans backed by malls with a Cheesecake Factory are current on their payments versus just 72% for malls without the restaurant. Now, it's not just the Cheesecake Factory, apparently, that makes a difference. 
Moody's points out that the presence of other high-end stores like Lululemon and Apple can be a, quote, unscientific measuring stick for the prospect of one mall over another. Or maybe the Cheesecake Factory and Apple are just smarter about what malls they go into in the first place. Either way, if you see a Cheesecake Factory, the mall is probably going to be around for a while. And if that is not random but interesting, I got nothing else for you. All right, on a more serious topic, let's talk about the national debt because it continues to soar. The national debt clock shows that America now owes $34.5 trillion. That is nearly $100,000 for every man, woman, and baby in America. It's $99,719 to be exact. The federal deficit is also soaring now just under $2 trillion. That is not only double what the deficit was last fiscal year, but also double what the deficit was before COVID hit. Now listen, these are big, scary numbers, but here's the thing. They haven't seemed to matter at all. Markets have just kept humming along, at least stocks have. But bonds are now starting to show some cracks. Government debt has been selling off lately, jacking up yields. Prices down, yields up. And as debts continue to rise, the federal government has to sell even more bonds, which could then further hit prices. See the potential for a spiral. And while you may not care about the national debt, I get it. You probably care about what it costs you to borrow money for things like homes and cars, all of which you know keep going up. Bottom line, we know the federal debt can be so big, it seemed like some obscure topic that is difficult to comprehend. It's like talking about the universe, right? But at some point, if debts and deficits keep rising, it could come back to hit you with even higher borrowing costs. And then, pun intended, it may really hit home. Joining us now is Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich and QI Research CEO and Chief Strategist Danielle DiMartino Booth. Danielle, I'll start with you on the bond, because Ryan will hit the stock side. On the bond side, higher debts haven't seemed to matter. We're up $10 trillion in what, just a couple of years? Both parties are squarely to blame. Are they going to finally start to matter now that bonds are getting whacked? You know, I think they are. Uh, Part of it has to do with why Fitch and Standard & Poor's have both downgraded the sovereign debt of the United States. It's clear that our Congress does not have any kind of ability to restrain spending. Uh, But on a more practical level, in the fiscal year ended August the 31st, the United States spent $808 billion servicing the debt. Uh, that's more than the defense budget of $695 billion. And that defense budget, by the way, is bigger than any other country on planet Earth. So very soon here, we've gone from $32 trillion to $33 trillion in debt in a matter of months. At some point, you're going to have a crowding out effect where Congress is not going to be able to spend as, as much money on what the country needs because they're going to be spending over a trillion dollars a year just servicing the debt. Remember, unlike Argentina, the United States could not extend out the maturity to a 50-year bond or a 100-year bond when interest rates were at the zero bound. We, we, for, we, we, we put, push that opportunity away at the wrong time. Shame on us. Well, but here's the thing. It hasn't mattered. I'll go, Danielle, I'll go back to you. It has not mattered. There's plenty of appetite for U.S. debt. We are still, I hope, the strongest and most creditworthy nation in the country. We're going we're gonna to find out if people stop buying our debt. But for now, there are still buyers of that debt. And so you know, we keep talking about all these huge numbers, but the market hasn't seemed to care. I guess my worry is what you're talking about, which is there may be a day where the government says, you know what, we're going to have to cut the budget for the FDA or for education 
or for whatever it might be because we're sorry, we can't pay for school choice. We actually have to give the money to creditors. It's the same way that you're seeing when, when a building finally trades hands in San Francisco, that it's for pennies on the dollar because they're so far apart in terms of, of refinancing today's rates versus yesteryear's rates that they can't come together. The U.S. government faces the same exact thing. Interest expenses are going to be so high. If Jay Powell really holds his ground, Brian, and stays higher for longer, this country's got, got a lot of pain in front of it just to service the mountain of debt that, as you said, continues to grow. Debt and deficits don't matter until they do, and I think we're turning that corner. We need to put the federal debt on Ozempic immediately. Ryan Dietrich, Ryan Dietrich, does it matter to the equity markets, or can stocks keep going up even when we have some of these fiscal, fiscal conditions swirling around us? Yeah, Brian, I mean, I can't believe you talked about Cheesecake Factory right before I came on. Now I'm all hungry and I can't even focus on the question. That's that's important there. But you, you, you think about it. I mean, the bottom line is, why are rates going higher? It's something we were talking about on our team just recently. Why are yields going higher? Is it because of the deficits? Is it because of all the spending? Um, we would say maybe not. We think it's because the economy's strong. I mean, consumption's running, Brian, at 8% annualized the last three months. The recent auto numbers we just saw, way more cars being bought. That's with the strike. That's with the higher interest rates, with some of the foreclosures and some of the things that are starting to go up a little bit. So listen, it's not perfect. I mean, we just talked about some really scary things that are taking place when you talk about the bond market and how that's reacting. But the truth, again, is with the stock market, I mean, I've come on here for a while. We expected some seasonal weakness right now. We're still pretty optimistic. And you know what? Earnings are probably going to hit an all-time high next year. Okay, We don't see a recession. I've been sitting there for a while. If earnings hit an all-time high, yes, what's going on with all the spending and deficits, I'm not crazy about it. But I think the stock market is going to care more about all-time high earnings. And we still think, you know, new all-time highs are likely later this year, maybe early next year from the stock market. Is there some kind of macro? I mean, bonds are selling off stocks. They haven't gone up this month, but they're they're higher this year. Ryan, what is the connection for our viewers? You know, non-financial pros. And by the way, we're showing a graphic. Great graphic, by the way. Thanks, guys. 2013 versus now the sort of remember the taper tantrum from 2013 hard to believe 10 years ago where yields spike very similar patterns here you know there were times in 1987 as well ryan where spikes did cause sudden sharp downturns in stocks We could call 87 a sudden downturn. I mean, yes. I mean, that's one of the, we've seen a lot of that lately about yields going higher in 87, eventually cracked. I'll just say this, Brian, the stock market was up over 40% for the year in August of 87, 500% the five years before. That was a stretch, rubber band. Not sure that's the same, but I love how you pointed out 2013. I mean, 2013 stocks gained 30%. There was like a 6% pullback, I think in June or so around that taper tantrum. We've obviously pulled back a little more now. I mean, the bottom line again is normally, Right. Normally, when stocks sell up, bonds do well. We're not seeing that this year. We haven't seen it that, seen it last year. I mean, I, we we get that. But again, um, just overall, you think the economy yeah. is still strong. We've been overweight. Bo- we've been overweight stocks relative to bonds all year. People didn't like that call twelve months ago. We're still in that camp, Brian. We still think higher for longer makes a lot of sense. We don't see any cut anytime soon. But inflation is coming down. Rents are coming back. You know, year over year, they're negative. If you look at some of the private data. So we just think the Fed's on pause. Higher for longer, sure. We'd stick with stocks over mm-hmm. bonds here, though. Well, listen, you've been right. Danielle, I'm, I'm in your camp a little more. I'm a little bit worried, but I guess I'm paid to worry. Danielle and Ryan, thank you both very much. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Big numbers there, folks. Somebody called Carl Sagan. Billions and billions. All right, all right, still ahead. Bringing FTX back from the dead, a group of Sam Bankman Freed's alleged victims want to do exactly that. One of us, one of them, will join us to explain why. Well,
All right, welcome back. More key witnesses taking the stand today in the blockbuster trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, including the rather mysterious FTX co-founder and CTO Gary Wang. CNBC's Kate Rooney again in the courthouse all day. Kate, what do we learn on day two? Hey, Brian. So we heard from some of Bankman Freed's closest friend and insiders today in that criminal fraud trial. The star witness today, FTX's co-founder, Gary Wong. He has already pleaded guilty to fraud. The prosecution jumped right in, Brian. They asked, did you commit financial frauds while working at FTX? He said yes. Then prosecutors went on to ask, do you see any of the people you committed fraud with? In the courtroom, he stood up, he kind of looked around, spotted Sam Bankman-Fried and said yes. He was wearing this oversized suit today on the stand. One of Bankman-Fried's college friends going back to MIT. Wong also lived with him in the now infamous Bahamas penthouse. He said when FTX customers deposited money, it didn't actually go to FTX. It was funneled straight into the bank account of another Bankman-Fried controlled company, that hedge fund Alameda. All at the direction, he says, of Sam Bankman-Fried. He also said Alameda had, quote, special privileges and unlimited access to FTX accounts. Also took $8 billion of customer funds and had the ability to withdraw pretty much endless amounts of money and have a negative balance, as well as a $65 billion line of credit. According to this witness, Wong also got a million-dollar professional loan from Alameda and a 200 to $300 million loan, he says, was taken out in his name. But it wasn't for him. That money was used instead to make other investments for the company. He owned about 10% of that hedge fund, Alameda Bankman-Fried, controlled the other 90%. We also heard from Adam Yadidia. He's an FTX executive, former executive, MIT classmate as well, as well. And then he was a Bahamas roommate. His testimony ended on a pretty fiery note. It was later struck from the record. But when he was asked why he lost faith in FTX, he said, FTX defrauded all of its customers. Then we had Matt Huang of Paradigm, big venture capital firm. They invested in FTX and said they, when they did that, the company FTX hid some of the entanglements in the financial statements that he saw at the time. They had a $278 million stake, lost it all in FTX, said that he pushed Bankman-Fried for board seats, but SBF never relented, never had a board of directors or a CFO. The witness testimonies will keep coming over the next six weeks. They do continue tomorrow. The defense is going to get a shot at cross-examining FTX's co-founder. Brian. Wow, dramatic. Kate Rooney, glad you're there. Thank you. All right, now let's turn to somebody who lost money as a result of FTX's collapse. Sunil Kovuri is an FTX creditor at about $2 million thanks to Bankman Freed. But now, in a rather strange turn of events, he along with a coalition of other FTX investors, are looking to try to revive the crypto exchange, of course, obviously without Bankman-Fried. They call themselves the FTX 2.0 Coalition. And Sunil Kaveri joining us now. Sunil, uh, welcome. Uh, why do you want to revive FTX? Isn't the name kind of blemished or stained? Um, to some extent. Um, I think that um, I, um, I have to... Um, step back. I think that the reason why we want to revive it is because the, um, the competitors, there's no um, exchange at the moment which um, is delivering um, transparency, compliance, and um, basically um, capabilities which FTX promised to do initially to users. So there's a, certainly a gap in the market. And we feel by reviving and implementing all the facets that FTX actually promised to do from the outset, um, we could fulfill this um, gap. 
And, and you've done analysis on FTX, and maybe it's not perfect, but you believe that there is real value there, maybe a couple of billion dollars in value. How did you get there? Oh, right. Yes, for sure. I, I think the obviously the main um, asset of FTX is the user base, the creditors which are um, which will come back and use the exchange. And I say why they will use the exchange is because you have 1.4 million creditors um, um, with claims against FTX, and they're essentially um, a trap user base. And they have all stated, pretty much the majority have stated they will continue to use FTX if it's revived. So I think this is a major asset, which a, a number of mm -hmm. um, people overlook. Um, and I've done some analysis, and I think the in terms of financials, it is, is an extremely attractive business. So just top line, um, high level, um, making about $1 billion revenue um, pro rata and pro rata even in 2022 and net income was 313 million. Yeah. If, if the business is so attractive, you sound optimistic about it. That if the business is so attractive, why did it implode? Yeah, I think the simple answer is pure embezzlement and fraud by Sam Bankman-Fried and his co-conspirators. So we have to, um, it, it's uh, obviously a money-making machine, an exchange, just taking trading fees. However, he used it as his personal piggy, piggy bank and removed customer deposits in order to finance his own frivolous lifestyle. And, you know, on $5 billion venture deals, you know, $300 million on Bahamas property. So you, you, you believe he's guilty? Oh, there's, there's, uh, without a doubt, he's guilty. I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, he's going to go to jail for a very long time. I think he's guilty on twofold as well. Uh, one is obviously the <coughs> term Excuse me. service, um, whereby title remains with the customer deposits. But I think his history has proven his intent as well. So he claims, or at the moment when he went on the interviews, he um, put, tried to portray himself as making a mistake. But this is not um, evident from his background because in his checkered past, he has, um, I believe it was in 2019, um, there were um, 15 employees of Alameda walked out because of his, um, uh, you know, manipulating financial statements, even sexual relations with subordinates. Um, you know, unbelievable. They, Unbelievable. I well, mean, it, I, it, in some cases, it actually just seems unbelievable. Uh, Sunil Kavuri, oh, we got to leave it there. Good luck in your quest and good luck in, in getting your money back. Sunil, thank you. I really appreciate it, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Be well. All right. Quick program, you know, do not miss CBC's documentary, Making of the Meme King. Follows Ryan Cohen's rise from a normal high school graduate to the influential force behind the infamous meme stock craze. That is tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, right after this very fine show. All right, we're not done yet. And coming up, maybe the true state of jobs in America. We have got our hands on new data that you're going to want to see and hear. All right, welcome back. Time now for your last call watch list with a few stocks grabbing our attention tonight. First up, a rough ride for Rivian. Rivian shares down 23% today. 
the worst day ever for that stock. One of the reasons, or the reason, is what we talked about last night. Rivian is selling more debt to try to shore up its balance sheet. The company also gave a preliminary estimate of third quarter revenue in line with street estimates, but ugly day for the stock. Meantime, holy OJ, orange juice has never been more expensive, at least on paper. Orange juice futures hitting a new record high of $375.95 per pound today. Crop diseases and hurricanes crushing the supply of oranges. And finally, an update on a story that we have been following very closely recently. Next Era Energy continues to tumble. Stock sinking below 50 bucks for the first time since the pandemic hit. Next Era is the biggest renewable energy producer in America, and that stock has been absolutely hammered over the last couple of weeks. Meantime, tomorrow, the September jobs number is out, and it could show a slowing job market. The estimate, about 170,000 jobs with an unemployment rate that might tick up to about 3.7%. Still, though, very historically low. Let's talk more about it with some unique data, as only he can do. Joining us now is Zeta Global CEO David Steinberg. David, you get the data, again, from a lot of research and credit cards, so you kind of know what's going on before maybe the government certainly does. What trends are you seeing? Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. So when we look at the Zeta Data Cloud, we're looking at surveys, research, credit card transactions. And quite frankly, we think the labor market is hotter than the forecasts Mm. are. Uh, We think that we're going to see unemployment lower than the market believes it's going to be. I'm not sure that's exactly good news for the market. Uh, It is good news for the applicants. Uh, But uh, we we think it'll tick up a little bit from July. We think it'll, you know, go from 3.5 to maybe 3.6. We we don't think it'll hit 3.7. We do think new job creation will be slightly higher than expected. You know, you got some data here. 75% of current job seekers are new searchers within the last 90 days. So you can read that as high demand, or David, I could probably also read it as These are people that left the workforce, had a lot of COVID-related savings, maybe stimulus, whatever, and now they need to go back to work. You could if if 40% of all people who had a job didn't say they were actively looking for another job. (laughs) So uh, that's what sort of causes us to to dilute that first three-month number for 75% of the people who were looking. 40, Uh, wait, David, so 40% of job seekers, according to your data, are people that already have a job that are looking for a new job? I don't know what the normal number would be, but that seems high. It seems like a lot of, like, unhappy, disgruntled employees. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's certainly not good news for employers, right? It's, It's substantially higher than you would expect. The, the other really interesting thing to me, Brian, is, you know, salary is always number one, right? So 30% of people looking are looking for a new job because of salary. But flexibility for the first time is almost three times that of people looking for remote work. So 25% of people looking say they want flexible hours and only 7% of people looking want to be fully remote. That's a good statistic for employers at this point. How many want to be fully remote? 7.5% of people looking are looking for a fully remote job. That's it? Whereas I was shocked. Yeah. It, it, it's, but, but, but 25% of people want flexibility. And that could be, you know, meaningfully hybrid, right? So yeah. I, I, I wouldn't read too much into the fully remote. 
only seven and a half. Oddly specific, but that's random and interesting. We could have used that as the RBI. David Steinberg, appreciate it. Have a good night, my man. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Very welcome. All right, time now for our quicker than the ticker, all the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. The end of an era, the CDC phasing out COVID-19 vaccination cards. Yeah, they're still valid, but the agency is not printing anymore. Experts say you should probably still hold on to the card if you have it. Team USA sticking the landing. The women's gymnastics team just took home their seventh consecutive world championship title in Belgium. Big ups to them. Commander in teeth. President Biden's two-year-old German Shepherd no longer at the White House. Commander bit a Secret Service officer last week. This is the dog's 11th time displaying aggressive behavior. The world's most expensive country to own a car? Singapore. Prospective car buyers must bid for what's called a certificate of entitlement. The cost? $106,000. By the way, that doesn't include the car. And on a spooky note, New York firefighters alerting residents about a house of state which looks like it's on fire, but they say don't call 911. It is just a Halloween prank. That's a that's a weird prank. I, I'm not sure if that's funny or not, but yeah, if you see that one, if you see any other house on fire, call 911. If you see that home, I guess don't. All right, coming up, breaking developments on the financial hit to MGM from the crippling cyber attack. Contessa Brewer live on set with more next. All right, we have got a, it's a bonus. Tomorrow's news tonight. MGM Cyber Intrusion, also known as a hack, had a $100 million impact on the company's operations in the third quarter. That according to Contessa Brewer. And Contessa Brewer is here now to talk about Contessa Brewer's report. Well, in fact, it's according to MGM, which filed an 8K tonight. MGM refused to pay a ransom, instead shut down its Internet-connected operations to try and prevent those intruders from getting access to sensitive customer data, according to my sources. Online booking, internal email, websites, gaming operations were affected Expert cyber teams were called in to contain the damage. That did not entirely work. We learned from the 8K that some customer data was exposed. Then they hired tech teams to repair or rebuild the systems. All of that costs money. An important detail in this 8K filing, though, the company expects insurance will largely cover the financial impact. CEO Bill Hornbuckle will join me in Las Vegas for a first on CNBC interview Tuesday on Squawk on the Street. You don't want to miss that. There is going to be a lot of attention paid at this gaming conference in Las Vegas on the issue of cybersecurity. All right. There was also news today out of Vegas. Not not as serious. A lot more fun. Right. A lot more fun. Uh, Netflix, I guess, trying to bring in more viewers by making a deal with. Let's release some news, shall we? Are you ready for this? What, what are, you, are you breaking news? For the news? first time, yes. This is this is has not been reported anywhere else. Wow. For the first time ever, Netflix has agreed to a casino licensing deal based on its most watched show ever. It's a global blockbuster Squid Game. The manufacturer, Light and Wonder, will show off these new slot machines at the Global Gaming Expo that I just referred to in Vegas next week. Look, this is massive machine, 90-inch display. Players will see games from the show, which like red light, green light, tug of Did war. Did you see the show? Yeah, it was. Did you watch? So, so how way, does this game work? What happens if you lose? Yeah. <laughs> 
I think. No, what if you play the squid game slot game slot machine and you do not win? Do you die? No, I don't think that that's the way that works. I think you walk away maybe slightly disappointed. Light and wonder. But alive. But alive. Light and Wonder is also launching a digital game for online platforms next year. And the company's CEO, Matt Wilson, predicts this deal with Netflix really just scratches the surface about what's possible. It's not just about taking IP and slapping it on a slot machine. You have to do it in a really eloquent way that's going to really kind of draw the players in and have them experiencing something similar to the original IP and the way that was designed. TV branded slots, of course, are not new. Think about the popular Wheel of Fortune game. Which should include the Pat Say jackpot. <laughs> well done. Deals like this one, and you had competitor Aristocrat launching NFL-branded slots just this fall. They have the potential to be transformative because they attract younger adults to slots where traditionally slot players are an older demographic, shall we say? Wise. Slots Elderly. I mean, make up the biggest chunk weathered. of gaming revenue for these casino companies. Because, you, so it because they're the worst. Like, why, who would play a slot machine? Well, if you like the squid Besides game. Besides my mom. And like a lot of, pe- a lot of people. I yeah. love you, mom. Yeah, she's like. Don't play the slot. She's disowning you as we speak. Too late. But if you loved the squid game and you see a big 96-inch display or something like that, aren't you going to go over and want to play it? As long as it doesn't kill me if I don't win the prize. I, That's I, the I, whole squid game. If you saw the show, folks, you know what I'm talking about. I didn't even ask the question, by the way. I did not ask the CEO, hey, what happens if you lose? That was a good question. I should have asked that. Why yeah, didn't I? it's like elevator of death. What games are we playing but, here? But by the way, this even though they're tiptoeing into gambling, it doesn't necessarily. Gaming. We call it gaming. It's. It it doesn't necessarily mean that Netflix is going further, but they're doing these deals. They're trying to get more of their content. Like with Zara, they have a new deal with Zara. And, you know, the hit shows, they can create new revenue streams from licensing content. But look at Apple TV, Amazon, other streaming platforms have sports. If there was a last call gaming game, what would the last call game be? Would it be like, would it be like Pachinko? It might be more like the squid game where if you don't get out of here on time, you die. You know what the jackpot is? Dinner with you. That's nice. See, how do you come back from that? No, it's like the ultimate there's, compliment. There's no coming back from that. The Pat, you didn't like Pat say jackpot? I do. I like everything that you say. That's it. CNBC documentary Making the Meme King is next. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.